0: Hello, and welcome to Medical Motherhood for April third, twenty twenty two. I'm Shasta Kearns Moore. Medical Motherhood is a weekly newsletter and podcast that gives those raising disabled children the news and information they need to navigate this complex life. To subscribe and read past issues, go to medicalmotherhood.com. We dive into hard topics here, and this week is no different. Fortunately, my friend Katie Greer, a grief recovery specialist with The Satellite Project, has the knowledge and the attitude to make sense of death and other loss. Katie and I met through my son's co op preschool. I was the outgoing board president and she was incoming, so we spent some time together bonding over paperwork and filing systems. She was one of those upbeat, cheerful people who always had a beautiful smile and a kind word for people. Just a few months later, our or- small Oregon community was devastated when word came that Katie's four year old daughter, Marissa, had died in a tragic accident while the family was on vacation in Mexico. Katie's world would never be the same. She'll be the first to tell you that the grief will never go away. But through a technique called the grief recovery method, she found her smile again, and she's now helping other people navigate through the many emotions that come after loss. We sat down recently for a conversation about motherhood, grief, and what to do and not do when you or someone you know experiences the loss of a child. You might not think that a conversation about grief and the loss of a child would be a fun listen, but that's the thing about grief recovery. We find the light through the cracks in our hearts, and we learn how to laugh again in spite of it all. We'll answer questions like, can parents grieve the loss of the child that they thought they would have, when confronted with a disability diagnosis, even though that child was never real? If so, how do we keep that sense of grief and loss from affecting the child as they grow up so that they don't think that they're not enough? And many medical mamas, such as those of children facing cancer or organ failure, live in a community in which children die. How can we respond to lift up those parents? I learned a lot from this conversation with Katie, and I hope you will, too. Hi, how's it going? Hi, Shasta. Good. How are you? Good, good. So, yeah, thanks for coming on Medical Motherhoods. Can you tell everybody who you are and what you do? I would love to.
1: Thank you. So my name is Katie Greer, and I am an advanced grief recovery specialist certified by the Grief Recovery Institute. And we talk
0: about grief all day, every
1: day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So I think that, um, you know, we knew each other a long time ago. We met um, five years ago. Yeah. Some Or even longer, I think. Longer. I, I want to say like Maybe eight years ago. Yeah, we were kind of ha- handing off the baton at the preschool, and he's going to be the, the, the president um, <laughs> Yeah, and then um, and then kind of tragedy hit. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that part of your story?
1: Sure. So in 2016, we were on a family vacation and when walking along the beach and in Cabo San Lucas, where you are not supposed to get in the water and we were up on the sand, a wave came and took us out to sea. me, my daughter and another little girl, in my other hand, and the other little girl and myself survived And we were all pulled out by boats and my daughter, Marissa, who was four at the time, almost five years old, drowned and her body was brought to the emergency room by um, ambulance as well as myself. And they were unable to revive her. So um, thank you. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, yeah, she's a big reason as to uh, why I do what I do and just the feelings of isolation, desperation, uh, complete regret, resentment towards myself. Um, a lot of remorse, anger that, that came up is, is why I got into talking to others about their grief.
0: I can imagine. I mean, it's just such a heartbreaking story. Um, what was that journey like for you? I mean, how long did it take for you to go from, from, you know, a mother losing her child to kind of the person you are now mm-hmm. where you're helping other people through their grief. And you've kind of processed, I mean, as much as you ever can.
1: I definitely, I know I kind of laugh um, <laughs> till today, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So she, it's been now six years, Just just a little over six years. And I think that I sat with the anger and I was a very unhappy uh, person afterwards. I think that some people looking in saw otherwise, but in my own head, and my own heart, I was very resentful. And I especially didn't like making new friends. I didn't like talking to others who didn't know our story already because it was one more layer to, to get through. And then I found the grief recovery method. In 2018, well, I found it in 2016, inquired. Mm-hmm. So I took action, but mm-hmm. I did not follow through because I was terrified. Um later come to find out, one of the co-founders of the program, we can talk about that, he was actually dying of cancer during that time. So I think that the institute itself um, was having some uh growing pains and grief events going on themselves. So I I didn't follow through with them at that time. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until about two, almost three years later that I picked it back up again and then read the book, did the work and went through the certification program first, the basic, then the advanced. And, uh, it speaks so much to my heart and I believe in it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And so I suppose it, I sat in the anger for about three years before Mm -hmm. taking action. Yeah.
0: And then, um, so, so now you've started a business. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, of course. So satellite project is what I started and satellite is spelled L I G H T. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, Marissa loved the moon. It's kind of a thing with our family that, you know, we find the moon, our dog's name is Luna and, little things of that nature and it also I like the way that it orbits and you know there's there's kind of this embracing factor that's involved and in, at play mm-hmm. and project because I feel that this work is ongoing okay.
0: okay so you've mentioned the grief recovery institute a couple of times tell me about that who started it and how did you get involved and
1: certainly Of course. Thank you for asking. So the founder's name is John James. He recently died in November of last year, 2021. And he sought out help after his three-day-old son died. And the feelings of that distraught, um, that emotional isolation, the seeking something to lessen the pain is, is what he wanted. And he compiled all these different resources and built this, what's now known as called the grief recovery method, uh, almost 45 years ago. Now, I think it's been about 44 years. And then he brought in his friend, um, who was going through a, a divorce as well as bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And they together brought the Institute to life and, it's, it's just been fantastic and it's international and it's in many different languages across the world. And it's, I wish more people knew about it. So I guess here we are, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's our goal. Mm -hmm. Letting people know what the resources are out there. Um, I'm wondering, uh, you know, like you mentioned with, you know, loss of a business or bankruptcy, like what is grief? Is it only for when people die?
1: Great question. And I think a lot of people think that grief is that sorrow, that pain that happens when someone dies and it for surely is. It's also not limited to on the front page of my website, it says grief is not limited to sorrow. Mm -hmm. And it is the natural and normal response to a loss, a change in pattern, a, a behavior. And that can be so many different things across Our life, right? So, the grief recovery method also uses this other scale that um, two psychologists had put together, and that there are over 40 different kinds of losses that we can experience throughout our life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, not limited to death at all. And so, grief is truly that natural and normal reaction to loss that can have conflicting emotions. It's not pathological, it's not any type of disorder, it's our body's natural response to a loss.
0: So interesting. So, does that mean that parents can grieve the loss, quote unquote, of a child that they thought that they would have had when they're confronted with that child being diagnosed with a disability?
1: Definitely. Fantastic example. And there is, you know, you can speak to this personally if you want. And when you became a mom, what you and, you know, thought that mother, what motherhood would look like for you. Mm-hmm. what you expected, hoped, dreamed that your children, these characteristics that they would in, you know, embody, mm-hmm. and then the reality of what they do embody and what they do have going on and how you show up to support them too. And so those loss of expectations, hopes, and dreams of motherhood mm-hmm. is a complete grieving event
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I definitely have experienced that since the birth of my twins. I mean, I call it shattered expectations. You know, I thought things were going to be a certain way, but they turned out to be a different way. And just kind of the process of kind of aligning (laughs) what I thought was going to happen versus what really happened, um, you know, continues even to this day, 11 years later, Um, But one thing that I really struggle with a lot, especially as I've learned more from, you know, self-advocates, people who experience disability is like, how do I keep that sense of grief and loss from affecting my children as they grow up Mm. so that they don't think that they're not enough or that, you know, I wish that they were different or something like that?
1: Well, I guess, fantastic question. I think that there's almost two things here that we can talk about And one is, what does effect look like to you? Mm -hmm. If you feel that expressing your sadness or your frustration, where your child is witnessing it, is it affecting them negatively? Possibly not. It's giving them the emotional honesty that mom is having a really difficult day. Mm -hmm. You love them. You, you know, I know you as a mother, you embrace your children, you show up for your children, you will do anything for them that unconditional love, that's what they know. Mm -hmm. If mom has a difficult day and there is tear, there are tears involved, there is anger involved. That's should be to be expected. If you paint this picture that mom's got it all together, Mm -hmm. that's doing them them a disservice. Mm -hmm. And showing them that you can be emotionally honest in what that looks like is huge. I think that, you know, there are some different pieces here that we can not make black and white is that what kind of anger and sadness do we bring to the table and and let them see versus, you know, um, keeping it behind closed doors. There's of course going to be a happy medium there. Correct. And so we have to use our emotional intelligence and our, understanding of our child's ability to comprehend and their capability, their energy level in that moment to then show up and say, mom's having a really difficult day. Mm -hmm. My son has seen me cried many days Mm -hmm. and he'll come over to me. You know, we've done this work and we, you know, we've been in this in the grief recovery realm for quite some time now that he'll come over to me, put his hand on me, or even just stand there and say, are you thinking about sissy right now? Is that why you're, why you're crying? Is that why you're sad? Mm -hmm. And I can either say yes or no. And he knows to, to come over and address it with me. Like if I see him sad or I'll come over and say, was today a really difficult day at school? Would you like to tell me about it? Mm -hmm. And opening that dialogue, you're teaching your children when you're sad or or showing up in a in a certain emotional state that there's okay it is okay to be in that emotional state mm-hmm. and it's also okay to open up the dialogue and hmm. to talk about it and to not just brush it under the rug per se,
0: yeah
1: and hide it
0: showing up and being real <laughs> sounds like a really important part of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I think really helped me was separating out, okay, what's actually hard about the disability and what's hard about all these navigating all these systems that we have to do because of it. <laughs> you know, and to me, that was kind of a big epiphany of like, you know, what I call special needs world. There's this whole like crazy bureaucracy that you have to get through. And, you know, forms to fill out and all these huge processes and that part being hard is a really different feeling than the actual extra care needs that my kids have, you know, you love them.
1: You know? Yeah. Gosh, yes. And I call those layers. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about it a lot because it's not just one single grieving event but it's those layers and all the pieces that come into play. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Um, so yeah, um, you know, I feel like another part of kind of the grieving process that happens with, um, you know, medical mamas and this medical motherhood community, um, is that there, um, a lot of, you know, it's not just me and my kids. It's like, now I have a lot of friends who are also dealing with, um, you know, these these grief events, um, and some, you know, even death. So, you know, I'm wondering, kind of twofold, like, you know, for the medical mothers who are kind of anticipating that their children might die, they're facing cancer, or organ failure. Um, you know, how do how do we how do we deal with that sort of pre-grief, you know, and children who do have terminal diagnoses?
1: Mm -hmm. Great. So a lot of times, I think that you mentioned it and the anticipatory grief. And so in what I do, and I respect where anyone else is is coming from, you know, there's complicated grief, anticipatory grief. There's so many different Types of labels that people want to give it. And I respect that wholeheartedly. I do. At the end of the day, it's grief. And so, in what I do is being emotionally honest and taking action. And we can only do that by taking responsibility. And those action pieces involve your emotional response to what is happening. As well as bringing in the the action pieces of if there is any undelivered communication, should that be an apology? Should that be a forgiveness? And if your child, in in this case, in this scenario, if your child is still alive and there is an apology or forgiveness that you feel that can be voiced that is not um, going to do further damage to the child then maybe express it if that is not the case or the child has died or you feel or fear that it could cause additional damage or um, it's not something that maybe they need to hear but it's something that it's hurting you then this work exists when i meet with a client we go over everything from all the myths and the coping mechanisms that we use societally culturally Mm -hmm. and break those down and get real with it so that we can take the responsibility and the action. And then those undelivered communication pieces that the parent would then want to express is only expressed to me. I am only a heart with ears and no mouth, no judgment, no comparisons. I show up and I listen to your heart. Mm -hmm. And that i feel that when we put labels to things it's like great slap a label on it good to go and that's only part of the problem is that once you address it what are you going to do about it and that's kind of where john james was at the time he's like yeah my child has has died i'm a bereaved parent now what do i do mm-hmm. you know and that's how i felt Mm -hmm. I remember staying up all, all the time. Like, um, I would lay in her bed late at night and after she was dead and I would just read now, what do I do? And I needed action based content, this method that now I found and exists to deliver that, 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 the undelivered communication to take the responsibility to be emotionally honest for myself so that I could show up. And I think that that's where the anticipatory grief is that loss of expectations, those hopes, that hoping for something to be different, uh, fearing that something will happen, Mm -hmm. not knowing that uncertainty. And there's a lot of undelivered communication around that.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm So, yeah. Um, maybe we should go over you know what is this method and what's a typical program look like what are some of those tools that that you help people through in their grieving
1: certainly so when i meet with individuals one on one it's about a 7 week process and um and i say about because it is 7 weeks but then i always like to bring in an additional 3 weeks to go over any additional work that someone would want to do and so we like we start off with breaking down what has not been helpful. And then we talk about taking responsibility and then we listen and really expand upon the losses that have transpired to where they are at right now. And then we choose a certain relationship and then we bring in those action components. And so over those seven weeks, we start off and, you know, when i meet with someone and they're like oh this is fantastic it's great and then by week 5 they're like what am i doing and i'm like yes that's why i'm here that is why i'm here if you feel like you want to run away come run to me i can't say that i know exactly how you feel that's your own that's the beauty of of your grief is that it is yours you get to own it i respect that and you respect it too i have been through similar Emotions and can relate to where you might be right now, and so run to me, come to me, and tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes I'll have a client yell at me, and I know that you know, <laughs> maybe it's not personally; it could be, I, I suppose. But that there's a lot of pain, and that can show up in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, seven weeks to ten weeks is is what that looks like. And then I also uh, do group work. As well, and that's about an eight-week program. Same parameters, and just mm-hmm. that first week is is more of an intro. And then uh, I also have a helping children with loss group, and so that is for adults only who want to explore the myths and the coping mechanisms that are unhelpful, so that they can break their patterns to show up for their children better. Oh, great! Yeah
0: one thing um, that we should probably talk about because, you know, I heard, I think, a podcast or something on this that so this is a myth, but <laughs> maybe some of my listeners won't know, but um, that the five stages of grief that I bet that you encounter that a lot is that a real thing? Do people have to go anger and then denial or whatever? <laughs> sure.
1: So, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross, has Been an amazing researcher, doctor, and what her work was is for the death that it's in death and dying, and so her patients were those who were going through their own death death or something. Yes, in in illness, a um, their own illnesses, and not someone that. Um, would be like a partner or a um, son, daughter, you know, like on the other side Mm -hmm. that would still be living. And so, yes, it is true. Mm -hmm. And no, it does not happen in stages. Mm -hmm. And no, there are no five stages to grief. It is (sighs) grief is, you know, that those conflicting emotions that can come about whenever (laughs) they can come together in like multi-facets with my son. I like to talk about this emotion box and the emotion box can have hundreds of emotions in it at any given time. You don't just feel happy. You don't just feel sad. You can feel conflicted in that you can experience joy and sorrow together. You can experience anger and um, maybe not contentment at the same time but you know um but all of these emotions they're fluid right they just they're not static they flow with without us having to really do anything but that they sit in the box until we acknowledge them and then they can float out mm-hmm. and so so with the five stages of grief there I think that it's the five stages of of dying is what we can really harness that in on is, a lot of doctors and a lot of professionals have taken her work and applied it to grief, and that was not its intent.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So, um, you know, another thing I wonder about, you know, kind of living in this community where um, children die more often than in the general public, um, you know, how do we, how should, how should people respond to lift up those parents? How do we, um, how to, how is it best to support people when they're going through a grief process?
1: That's a beautiful question. And one I get quite often. And so that kind of falls in with, with the misses is that people will frequently say, stay strong or be strong for your surviving kids or be strong for each other. If, you know, there's a partner involved. And I think that what people are really trying to say is encouragement. Comes off as being very harmful and dismissive. And so if someone were to say, How can I show up or how can I support you today? What does support look like for you? Mm-hmm. And I think that this definitely comes down to where we experience sympathy versus like a compassion and empathy, whereas sympathy is that pity. It mm-hmm. sees someone in pain and says, Oh, that must be so sad, I'm sorry, and walks away. And so for someone who wants to truly support another, they need to bring that compassion, that curiosity, and show up with empathy. Get down in next to them, as uncomfortable and dirty as it may feel, the get muddy, get uncomfortable, and say, I see that you're hurting and I'm here with you, Mm -hmm. sometimes literally alongside you. I can't take your pain and I can't take any of your grief, but I'm here to witness it and offer support that has, um, like tangible things such as, would you like me to cook dinner for you today? Would you like me to go grocery shopping? Is it helpful if I go and put these in the mail for you? Something that feels like it's a yes or no answer. A lot of times people show up and say, how can I help you? And as a griever in that moment from experience, you cannot think beyond maybe two minutes. Right. And thinking in the broader scope of what's going on in life is so difficult that our bodies are truly incapable of doing it more often than not. That shock, that protective piece that goes to... To support ourselves innately and naturally is unable to make those kind of problem-solving decisions. And so, if someone comes to you with an, a specific example of help, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When people,
0: oh, go ahead. I definitely experienced that. You know, in my trauma of you know having coming home from the hospital, I have two kids in the NICU, and people are like, "What do you want me to do?" And I'm like, "I can't figure out what I'm doing, <laughs> let alone what you need to do." <laughs>
1: Exactly, yes, that that's so true and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, a lot of times people will say at least or comparing it, maybe feeling like it could have been worse. and that's something that I really like to shy away from because this is what we're dealing with right now. Maybe it could be worse, but this is pretty bad and this <laughs> is maybe the worst that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. and that if, if someone says at least, it's basically saying (laughs) you shouldn't feel bad because it could have been worse and and really bringing in that comparison piece. And I think that when we show up with a griever with either comparison or judgment, all that is showing the person that's going through the loss is that you are not a safe person to go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That they cannot be emotionally honest to speak.
0: Another story I've heard over and over again that may be kind of unique to the loss of children um, is, and really loss of pregnancy or young, you know, newborn babies is oh well you can just have another one mm-hmm. replace a car or something <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah awful It's like you know I mean I I can't say that I wouldn't have said that you know before but it's just the worst thing you could possibly say (laughs) it's
1: definitely up there for sure yeah (laughs) um I was the recipient of that um too many times to count and I think that what again what people are wanting to show up with is encouragement is support and so what they are hoping to, to um, imply is that, um, you know, there's intellectual reason to feel bad and there's intellectual reason that you can feel good. We'll have another one. Cause we're taught, you know, say your dog dies. Well, you can go get another dog. Okay. Well that is true, but that still does not mean that that the loss of the pet that you just experienced is going to be fixed. Mm-hmm with a replacement and then you apply that to an actual human being well <laughs> yeah. you know it's I mean tenfold and I love my dog and you know people people want wanted me to be happy so they wanted me to experience joy and have have another child well physically, and side note physically that was not possible from our standpoint mm-hmm. and another piece was that that my family was, is complete. It had every piece that I felt and wanted it, my hopes and dreams, expectations were completely met. Mm -hmm. And then when my daughter died, the fact that she died and bringing in another child, if that was our choosing would have never changed the fact that I would still be a grieving mother for that one child. And I don't think that there's any perfect way to say it other than our heart is broken and an intellectual response to try to fix it is going to fall short every time.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if there's something that, um, you know, the media or the wider community gets wrong about death and grieving. And if there's some kind of like, if you had a, you know, microphone and could tell the world (laughs) something, what would it be? (laughs)
1: When you say it like that, I I get nervous, but (laughs) yeah. Um, So the media is, is interesting because they have no problem in saying the word death died. You know, it's all, it's, you know, makes headlines. Right. Mm -hmm. But they are rarely following up for the person, like the inner circle people and explaining what's going on emotionally because it is so complex and it's so unique. And with the TV and (laughs) if we were to go down like that stream, you know, where movies and shows is as we're concerned, they like to put it in this like little storyline, right? So there's a beginning, a middle and end. So you have the story, then you have the conflict. So you have a death and then you have the fix it. And then you have happy ending. Well, that's not the way that life goes. Mm -hmm. And so when we try to show up, I think that this is why the myths, you know, the be strong for others, you know, the, at least the replace the loss. And there's six big ones, um, mm-hmm. like staying busy, grieving alone, um, time heals all wounds. Ooh, nope. Mm-hmm. That one out. <laughs> and so all of those pieces, um, are modeled to us from the media, from movies, TV shows. And that's what we've been taught, trained, modeled from years and years back. So we're breaking generations of unhelpful responses to grief. If that's what we actually want to do is be helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so if if I could sit stand on some type of vessel with a megaphone, it would say, stop believing all the myths, challenge what doesn't feel good when someone has told you to replace the loss or grieve alone or stay strong. Why does that not feel good? Mm-hmm. Challenge it and stop saying it. Grief does not come in this perfect little story. Life does not happen in this perfect storyline. And grief is not some type of wrench in the system. It's such a natural experience because we will all go through so many losses. I mean, the last two years, hello. yeah Constant loss after loss after loss. You know, those can be security, health. Um, you know, we talked about job a little bit and all of those 40 plus ways that we can experience loss, everyone has gone through a loss Mm -hmm. and grief is felt 100% at 100% every single time. Mm -hmm. The intensity can vary, but it's not lesser or diminished. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, so challenge, challenge those losses, challenge the things that don't, that haven't been helpful.
0: Great. So, I mean, what do you think society would look like if we all had a healthier approach to grief? What would be like an ideal world to live in?
1: That's a big question, <laughs> <Chossa>. <laughs> I think that people would be, they would pause and approach a situation more gently. They would come at it from a perspective of knowing what they're responsible for and what they're not mm-hmm. and sharing of themselves in such an honest way that you know we will still we would always still have heartbreak we would we would have tremendous losses because that's the human experience but that people would show up and be compassionate and not quick to judge Mm -hmm. and not quick to compare or belittle others that they would see someone in their current emotional state and offer love and grace.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully at least people can find little circles of that. And I know I sure have, and it's been immensely healing. So
1: agreed. So true.
0: Oh, I'm really glad that you're out here doing this work, and hopefully, you're that person for the people in your circles and <laughs> the people who seek you out. Um, Thank
1: you, Shasta. I really appreciate you bringing me on today. Thank you.
0: Yeah, great conversation.
1: Great.
0: That was a conversation with Katie Greer, an advanced grief recovery specialist with the Satellite Project. Katie has an amazing and inspiring Instagram account. Follow her at Satellite Project, that's at sign S-A-T-E-L-L-I-G-H-T, Project, on Instagram. Now it's time for our Medical Motherhood News Roundup from Oregon Public Broadcasting. New report outlines steps to make er Oregon early childhood programs more inclusive. According to federal data, about 48% of young children experiencing disabilities in Oregon receive all services in preschools and other early learning settings. And, according to a new report, Oregon programs still have a ways to go in being fully inclusive. Since the Individuals with Disabilities Act was developed 30-plus years ago, children experiencing disabilities... I have limited access or are often asked to leave care even in preschool, said Oregon Department of Education Early Childhood Coherent Strategies Specialist Meredith Villanese. So we're hoping to change that. Oregon, along with Illinois, was awarded a national grant to help create a framework for what inclusion should look like in early childhood learning programs. From the Nashville, Tennessean, Tennessee Families Tangled in Katie Beckett Program Red Tape Worry Funds Are Going Unspent Two years ago, Mallory Hatcher was one of the loudest voices advocating for the Katie Beckett Program in Tennessee, the last state to set up a comparable program for families who make too much to qualify for Medicaid but are faced with astronomical medical bills. Today, the Johnson City resident and other families say the program is not working as intended for families desperate for assistance and relief. It was progress and a step in the right direction. I'm not discrediting that, Hatcher said. But they really need to know what's happening behind the scenes, how inaccessible a lot of benefits that we're supposed to be getting are, how much red tape we have to go through to get anything we need. It hurts that much worse because we put that much effort and energy into this being a reality. Tennessee Disability Coalition Director Carol Westlake questions why the program was bifurcated from the start. TenCare is careful to control costs, which Westlake said she understands. But it shouldn't lead to slow-walking enrollment and leaving funds on the table, she said. There's very frequently this tendency to imagine that everyone is going to try to cheat and game the system, like said. Are there people who do that? Absolutely. But should you develop a program predicated on the belief that people are going to try to cheat or game or get too much? You develop all these complexities to ensure that nobody gets something they don't deserve, and it creates a hugely bureaucratic system. From Disability News Service in the UK... Special Educational Needs Green Paper suggests government is finally dumping Cameron's End the Bias policy. Former UK Prime Minister David Cameron's pledge in his party's 2010 General Election Manifesto led to successive conservative-led governments focusing on building new segregated special schools and increasing the number of children attending special schools. The Right Support, Right Place, Right Time Green Paper is now out for consultation until July 1st. It says there are growing pressures across a system that is increasingly characterized by delays in accessing support for children and young people, frustration for parents, carers, and providers alike, and increasing financial pressure for local government. And it says that despite an unprecedented level of investment in high needs, for many families, their experience of the SEND system is bureaucratic, adversarial, rather than collaborative. Among its proposals is for a simplified system, a new legal requirement for councils to introduce local inclusion plans that will bring together early years, schools, and post-16 education, with health and care services and improved staff training. It also promises to, quote, change the culture and practice in mainstream education to be more inclusive and better at identifying and supporting needs, including through earlier intervention and improved targeted support. Medical Motherhood is a weekly newsletter and podcast examining the policies and practices in raising disabled children. Get it delivered to your inbox each Sunday morning, or give a gift subscription. Subscriptions are free with optional tiers of support. Thank you to our paid subscribers. Follow Medical Motherhood on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Instagram, or visit the Medical Motherhood merchandise store to get a t-shirt or mug proclaiming your status as a medical mama or medical papa. Do you have a question about raising disabled kids that nobody seems to be able to answer? Ask me and it may become a future issue. Thank you for listening. Our music was composed by Eihimitsu and used under a Creative Commons license. Wawa all day.